Welcome to another great week here on Brit David Podcast. As Pastor Tim brings us a message from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, entitled, A Sunday Lunch Showdown. In the old spaghetti westerns, the showdown was called for in the middle of Main Street at high noon. I'm not sure that it was high noon, but on a particular Sabbath, right after church we might say, there was a showdown at the ruler of the Pharisees' house. What appeared to be an ambush, Jesus answered. Here's Pastor Tim. Amen. You can be seated. Boy, what good stuff. I mean, I like that song. I like it more every time we do it. It's good. I want to invite you today to turn with me to Luke chapter number 14. As we make our way into that chapter, several years ago, our family got to be in Tombstone, Arizona. And as a part of that, we went to the reenactment of the showdown or the gunfight at the OK Corral. It was OK, you know. It was <laughs> so that particular story, if you know how it's going, the, the Earp brothers are trying to keep the peace in the town of Tombstone. Uh, Wyatt and Virgil and Morgan. And there became this battle between them and a particular gang that liked to run that particular town. And thus the gunfight at the OK Corral, when it was all over with, the only one person that walked away unhurt was Wyatt Earp. Uh, Morgan was, uh, was shot, so was Virgil, and so was one of their companions, one of their friends, who was from Dina's hometown, a Griffin, old Doc Holliday. But on the other side, the bad guys all lay dead right there in the middle of the OK Corral. You'd have, think, you'd have thought that since they were the lawmen that that would have reinstituted law in the town of Tombstone, but it didn't. In just a couple of months, this gang came back into town and decided to have their revenge. And so they waited, five with shotguns, waiting for Virgil to cross the street. And I mean, they opened up on him. He lived, but he lost use of part of his body as a part of that. And that wasn't the end of it. One of their members waited in the dark of night, watching through a window while Morgan played pool, shot him in the back, severed his spinal cord right away. And then there was another bullet that was lodged in the wall just above Wyatt Earp's head. They were determined that they were going to get rid of the Earp brothers. You know, what they couldn't do during the daytime, what they couldn't do right in the middle of everybody at high noon on Main Street, they tried to do under the cover of darkness in the dead of night to set up an ambush. What you read in Luke chapter number 14 is a similar kind of ambush. They've had enough of Jesus. They've had enough of Him trying to tell them what to do, of Him taking away the power that the Pharisees had. And it's time for a showdown. And I want to tell you something. The plot that they developed was as dastardly as any Wild West theme that you can imagine. And it all happened one afternoon, right after church, as they sat down for lunch. That's what you find, isn't it? Look, if you will, John chapter, or Luke chapter number 14 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now it happened as Jesus went into the house 
of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. And notice this phrase, that they watched him closely. You know, I like to think, I'd, I'd like to think, <laughs> that when you go home today, you know, you gather around with your family around the lunch table. Maybe you're at a restaurant, maybe at your house. Maybe it's like when I was growing up, we went to my grandmother's house to, to have Sunday afternoon lunch. I'd like to think that suddenly you begin to talk about this sermon. <laughs> any sermon on any given Sunday. Boy, boy, that was a good one today, wasn't it? I liked it when Tim said this, or I liked it when he pulled out this particular verse. I'd like to think that you do that, but I know good and well that you don't think much or talk much at all about the sermon that's going on, unless I hurt your feelings somewhere along the way. You know? These Pharisees, after the synagogue service is over on that Saturday, when they go home to have lunch, it's not to talk about the sermon. It's not to talk about who's there and who wasn't there. It's not to talk about what somebody was wearing or who was mistaken or, or unmistakably absent. It was all the talk about Jesus that day and what they're going to do to get rid of him. It's not what you would expect from a church family to talk about such things. And yet that's exactly what this after-church lunch is all about. You can tell it for a couple of reasons. You can tell it right there in verse number 1 because the Bible says that they watched Jesus closely. It's not because they're trying to learn from Him. It's not because they're looking for His example. They're looking to trip Him up, aren't they? They're looking to trap Him. And I want you to know that as we read these next few verses that a trap has been set, a trap very similar to the one that you studied in Sunday school this morning when they set that woman down who was caught in the very act of adultery. It was a trap. It was a setup. And that's exactly what you find here. Let me show you what I mean. They're watching Jesus closely. In verse number 2, Behold, there was a certain man before Jesus who had dropsy. We'll come back to that one. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent and he took him and healed him and let him go. You need to hang on to that phrase too. Then Jesus answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Tim, how do you know that this is a setup? Well, the Bible says that Jesus answered them. But what you don't have in this passage is this man with the dropsy who has asked to be healed. You don't read that anywhere in this passage that he has asked Jesus to do anything for him, much less to heal him. Instead, what you find is Jesus healing him of his own accord. And then that phrase that I told you to hang on to. And Jesus let him go. It tells me that he's not there because he's simply an invited guest. He's not there because he wants to be there. 
He's there because he's been forced to be there. He's forced to be there because of his affliction, because of his dropsy. Dropsy is not a word or a medical term that we use very much anymore. We typically use the word edema. It has to do with, the, with, the, with your body holding on to water and to fluid. It swells your arms, it swells your hands, it swells your legs. If you know of someone who has congestive heart failure, then you know a little bit about what this is about. Remember who's writing this particular gospel? It's Dr. Luke. When he uses the word dropsy, he uses a word that's a compound word based on two different words, water and face. Where it tells me that his affliction is showing up the most is in his face. A head that is swollen and bloated because of the retention of water. And I have to tell you, I hadn't always been as nice as I am today. <laughs> we had a kid in our, in our uh, elementary school. We called him kickball. And it wasn't because he was good at sports. It's because he had a head that looked like a kickball. So we just made fun of him. It was round, and it was smooth, and if you hit it just right, it turned red like that little playground kickball, you know? We tortured that poor guy simply for something that he couldn't help. The ruler of the Pharisees is using a man that they probably could have nicknamed kickball. Because of the way that he looked. This is what I want you to say to you out of this passage. When Jesus comes to your house for supper. He comes over to your house after, after church for lunch. Don't think that there's not going to be confrontation. Because when Jesus is watching them, he notices several things that he needs to point out to them. First thing that I want you to see in this passage is that Jesus confronted their despicable callousness. Their despicable callousness. Here, seated at the table with them, is a plant, a person that they have brought along not because he's their friend, not because he's a member of the synagogue. Not because they enjoy his company. Not because he has good jokes or he can talk about sports. But because he has a head that looks like a kickball. He's a man with an obvious affliction. He's a man who obviously needs healing. Jesus doesn't need this man to sit next to him and say, Jesus, will you heal me? You just look at him and you know he needs Jesus to do something for him. It's not lost on the ruler of the Pharisees. Ruler of the Pharisees doesn't seem as if he took this man to a doctor. Ruler of the Pharisees doesn't step in and say, Jesus, we've heard about your miracles. Look at kickball over there. Can you do something to help him? He didn't do anything. They don't do one thing for this man 
out of compassion. But they do everything for this man out of callousness. They are hard-hearted and it shows in the way that they treat this person as an object, as a test for Jesus. They are watching him closely. What's he going to do? We all know. We all know if he's sitting next to kickball that pretty soon he's going to heal him. And we're waiting for that moment when we can get him. Jesus instead is the one who takes the initiative and asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Do you notice in the very next verse that they don't answer Jesus at all? They really can't, can they? I mean, if they say yes, then they violate what they themselves have been teaching. If they say no... Then, I mean, if they say yes, sorry, I got to mix up. If they say no, there you go, Tommy Smith, there's my mistake for the day. If they say no, then, then, they, then they, they've erased everything that they've been teaching. But if they say yes, they are, they are setting up this thing and everybody then can see it. And so they just wait. They just sit back and wait for Jesus to do what Jesus is going to do. And it says that Jesus healed this guy and then let him go. He's not going to be the object of this lesson. Jesus lets him go his way and turns his attention back to those Pharisees. Notice it's not just the ruler of the Pharisees, it's all of them. He answered them. Now, my translation is likely different than the translation that you're reading if you're not reading from New King James. See, mine says, which of you having a donkey or an ox that's fallen into a pit? Your other translation likely says, which of you having a son or an ox? Most of those translations use son. You say, what's the difference between a son and a donkey? (laughs) That's just another joke for another day. Suppose that he is using this phrase of son, like most of those translations will use. What's lawful? Is it it lawful to heal a son? Which of you, if you had a son that was sick, or if you had an animal that was sick, had fallen into a pit, you wouldn't immediately, even on the Sabbath, go and heal him? Jesus has already tackled that question back in chapter 13. You know, he talked to them about going and grabbing their animal out of the ditch and, and said that they cared more about animals than they did about people. And obviously they care more about animals than they care about this man with the dropsy. As I read through that passage, what if, what if it is son? And what if the one with the dropsy, what if he'd been the son of the ruler of the Pharisees? I got a sneaking suspicion it would have been okay that that day to have healed on the Sabbath if he'd healed that son. You ever notice how things work a whole lot different when they work in your favor and when they don't? Suddenly we like to make up rules, don't we? I'll tell you something, it's the sign of a hard heart. It's the sign of a callous spirit. 
And it is, as you read in this story, something that is despicable. But we continue to move on. Jesus has more to say at lunch this day. It's not just to talk to those Pharisees, and it's not about the obvious setup. Jesus turns his attention not just to those who are throwing the party, but those who are there, those who are the guests who've been invited. Look at what verse number 7 says. So he told a parable to those who were invited. Hey, and look at this phrase. When he noted how they chose the best places or the best seats. And then he said to them, and we'll get into the parable in just a minute. What, what, what I want you to see from that is I underline my passages, you know, I'm underlining in verse number one, they watched him closely. And right up beside that, I put verse seven. And in verse number seven, I underlined, he noted how they chose the best places, and I wrote verse one. They think they're watching him, he's watching them. He's watching you, he's watching me. He's watching us with absolute, complete knowledge of who we are of what our motivations are, why it is that we do what we do. Here's the parable. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him, and he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may, underline that word, I think it's worth underlining, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. As Jesus takes his attention away from the Pharisees and their despicable callousness, he turns his attention to the guests that are there that day and confronts them for their disguised conceit. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his message from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31. 909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.